Welcome to The Real Deal with Jason Silverman, the podcast dedicated to helping you build the business of your dreams and live the life you always hoped for, with valuable and fun tips and info to make your life easier and more fun. And now, here's your host, a man who sprinkles metal shavings on his breakfast cereal just for fun, Jason Silverman. Everybody and welcome to the Real Deal with Jason Silverman. I'm your host, Jason Silverman, and I'm thrilled to share some time with you once again today. As you know, I'm always on the hunt for interesting as well as super smart Real Deal guests, and I got to tell you, today's show is a grand slam home run. I want to introduce my listeners to somebody who's truly been there and done that, and I'm really excited to pick his brain for your benefit as well as my own today. Now, for the folks who I work with in any of my coaching programs or through Powerful Words Character Development, All-Star Cheer Sites, or the Jason's Army Mastermind Group, you know how much I focus on having the right mindset, right? I gotta tell you, folks, this show is gonna help us to do just that. Today we've got, it's gonna be my honor and privilege to share an amazing resource with you. You're gonna love today's guest. He's got a ton of valuable information about what I consider to be really the cornerstone of success in growing your business and really growing yourself. As I'm sure you already know, I'm committed to helping business owners just like you to become more successful, enjoy your career more and in general, make your life significantly more fun. We only get one ride on this merry-go-round and uh, we want to make sure it's one hell of a ride, right? Alrighty, boys and girls, it is now that time. I want you to stop surfing Facebook, put away your phone, your tablet, your dog, your cat, your spouse, your child, anything that might possibly distract you from today's show. You're about to get some great and immediately implementable information, and I don't want you to miss even a second of it. So before we officially get going, let me give you a little bit of background about our special guest expert today. Gay Hendricks, PhD, has been a leader in the fields of relationship transformation and mind-body therapies for more than 45 years. After earning his PhD in counseling psychology from Stanford, Gay served as a professor of counseling psychology at the University of Colorado for 21 years. He's written more than 40 books, including bestsellers such as Five Wishes, The Big Leap, and also Conscious Loving, and the new Conscious Loving Ever. In addition to his work with Hendricks Institute, has offered seminars worldwide and appeared on more than 500 radio and TV shows, including Oprah, CNN, and CNBC. Now, on a personal basis... Anybody in my mastermind group or anybody who's been to any of my events knows I generally have a slide in almost every one of my presentations on one of the books that's changed my life. And actually, we're going to be meeting with the author of that book today. You know, we focus on the big leap and so much of what it is we do. And I got to tell you, this was a book that I picked up and couldn't put down. It's a quarterly read in my house. It's mandatory reading for everybody in my mastermind group and should be for everybody on this planet. Folks, you are about to get a unbelievable education from a fabulous human being. So um, it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Hendricks to the show. Welcome to The Real Deal. I'm thrilled to have you today. Thank you very much, Jason. It's really good to be with you and your community. Ah, the pleasure is mine. You know, Dr. Hendricks, before we get started, for those who haven't had the opportunity and pleasure of meeting you or hearing you speak or reading any of your eight bazillion books, um, do me a favor, take a second, share your story with our listeners. What are you passionate about? What makes you tick? Who is Dr. Gay Hendricks? Well, thank you. 
Well, I grew up, I had a lot of physical problems growing up. I was very obese when I was a baby, and then I was a very obese elementary student and a very obese high school student. And I was taken around to different medical people because everybody else in my family was thin and I was fat. And so it was a, there was something going on there with my hormone system. So I was taken around to different uh, medical people. And, um, but I really didn't get the whole weight thing handled until I was 24 years old. And I had a, a moment of enlightenment where I realized that it wasn't just about what I ate or the amount of exercise. It was, I had a, a vision of what was really down underneath all of that 300 pounds of, um, accumulated fat. Uh, I'm about six feet tall, and so I weighed over 300 pounds by the time I was 24 years old. Um, this morning, I'm 180, so I'm in my perfect zone now for many years. But um, in those days, I was 140 pounds overweight. But I had this moment of enlightenment walking out on a country road in New England that underneath that extra fat was a whole bunch of emotions and feelings that I hadn't ever contacted, things I was scared about, angry about, sad about. And also underneath that, though, was a pure space of what I called pure consciousness, which was there was no imprinting on it. It was just the one we get for being human, our basic human awareness. And I realized that everything else had been learned and put on top of that. And so I made a big decision on this one moment. I decided to change my life so that I had more access to that state of pure consciousness. And so I started eating completely differently. I started eating with the idea of what would feed that pure consciousness, not what would feed my old obese body. And within a, uh, within a year, I'd lost more than a hundred pounds and my eyesight changed so that I no longer needed to wear glasses. So a whole bunch of transformation took place I think because I discovered who I really was. And so once I began to operate on who I really was and what I wanted in life, I found my way into a career in counseling psychology and ended up um, getting my Ph.D. And when I was getting my Ph.D. at Stanford in the early 1970s, I had a moment that became important in later writing The Big Leap uh, because I was um, really I was just setting up my new career. I was having the time of my life. I had my dream job. Everything was going perfectly. But I couldn't stop obsessively worrying. I worried about my little girl at the time and I, uh, my daughter, uh, who was you know five or six years old at the time. And I, I worried about just about everything. And so I suddenly realized one day, oh, all of that worrying is actually a way of keeping me trapped inside where I am right now. What if I just made a commitment to expressing my full potential and let me express my full potential and then regard any kind of worry as just an upper limit on that? <clears throat> and so that was my first little awareness of how the upper limit problem works, that when things are going well, we often, because of our old programming, tend to sabotage ourselves. And I began looking at that issue around with different people and different clients and in my own life. 
And I realized that it's something that happens to almost everybody. And so um, I gradually over my life applied it to several different areas. Uh, we certainly see it in my relationship with my wife. We, we just uh, celebrated the uh, anniversary of our first meeting 37 years ago. So I've had 37 years of an incredibly wonderful marriage. And I noticed that in, in our marriage and in the marriages with the people we counsel, that they hit that upper limit also. Things will be going well for a while, and then they'll sabotage themselves. Same thing in business. I've worked with close to a 1,000 executives and CEOs and managers and people in business over the past 40 years, and I found the same kind of thing happens. People will have some success, and then they'll find a way to sabotage themselves and put an upper limit on it. So I found a way of moving through the upper limit problem and that's what the big leap is all about, is helping people apply a very systematic technology to themselves of moving through that upper limit so that they can express their full potential. I love that. <clears throat> I feel like it's, for the first time, being able to actually have a name for what the true issue is was, uh, was super helpful for me um, and I know for many of my folks. So, you, you know, you mentioned the big leap. As far as the key ideas that you're hoping when you wrote this, what would you say that the biggest ideas um, you scoped out in that book and really how they apply to business would be? Well, there are really two big ideas in the book. One is the upper limit problem, and I'll give you more detail about how to spot that and how to deal with that in a moment. But the other issue that I look at very carefully in The Big Leap is what I call the zone of genius. As I worked with eight or nine hundred of different executives, particularly in business, managers, entrepreneurs, particularly, I noticed that each of them had in them what I began to call a zone of genius. And it's when they were doing what they loved to do and when they were doing it in such a way that it was very time efficient. In other words, a little bit of it turned into a lot of money. And so you don't have to spend a lot of time in your zone of genius. I actually tell people to start with 10 minutes a day and work up from there. When I first caught on to this problem 30-some years ago, I realized I was spending about 10% of my time in my zone of genius and 90% of my time in my zone of competence, my zone of incompetence, and the zone of excellence, which is kind of one notch below the zone of genius. The zone of genius is incredibly important, Jason, because for every business person, you've got a sweet spot within you of where you're operating at your very highest level. And you may be only there 1% of the time or 2% or 15%. But what I have found is that you can gradually and systematically raise the amount of time you spend in your zone of genius until you're spending basically all of your time in your zone of genius or getting around from place to place to express it. So it took me a long time to work up from 10% of my time in my zone of genius up to 90% where I am now. But it was well worth it because every step along the way, you have more access to creative ideas and your ideas work better in the real world. So in business, I'm sure everybody's noticed in business, 
things almost never seem to go exactly the way you plan them to go. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Only every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I used to, when I first started in business, I kind of resented that. And then I realized, oh, that is business. <laughs> it's the act of constantly surfing on that edge. But what I found I had the great pleasure of, um, after my book, The Corporate Mystic, came out and uh, back in the 90s, I had the great pleasure of working with a number of CEOs around the world that did everything from run large chemical businesses to run airlines to run computer uh, companies. I consulted with uh, Michael Dell and his uh, top executives down in uh, Austin, Texas at Dell um, Computer for many years. And in the space of that experience working with those CEOs, I found that even people at the very top of their game still have elements of the upper limit problem in them. And so I, I began to really focus in on folks that were already doing okay. You know, they were doing pretty well. They already had some kind of business, but they didn't feel like they'd really optimized. They hadn't taken the lid off. And so I began to look at what were the actual issues underneath the upper limit problem. And one of them I found, Jason, that many business people have to confront is what I call the fear of outshining. In other words, it's the fear of doing really well and having people see you as doing well. And one thing that the, the problem is rooted basically in early family life where maybe there's a family lack of self-esteem or, you know, dad or mom has self-esteem issues. And so they don't they don't encourage people to shine. In fact, they kind of encourage people to keep their heads down and stay down in the pack. And sometimes that even translates into larger cultural issues. Like I've done seminars in uh, Sweden and uh, within an hour or two of being in Sweden, you'll encounter something that's called lagum, which is a word that they have, which is very powerful in Sweden. Lagum means don't get too ahead of everybody else. Don't fall behind. Don't get too ahead. Kind of stay right where everybody is. You're not going to make mistakes that way. If you get way out in front of everybody, you're going to screw up. People are going to laugh at you. You may do some good things, but you're going to, you're going to be all alone out there. So keep your head down in the pack a little bit, kind of like not too much, not too little. So in Australia, they have exactly the same thing. If you do seminars down in Australia, you'll, you'll right away find out what they call the tall poppy syndrome, which is don't be the tall poppy. Don't stick out above all the other t poppies because the farmer will cut it, cut it off first. And so, uh, as you probably know, uh, Australia was founded a lot by conflict, uh, convicts, people who were brought there in chains 200 years ago to serve as a penal colony from England. And so a lot of them have that down in their cells, kind of the idea of keep your head down in the pack. Don't get yourself in too much trouble. And so regardless of where I've been in the world, I've found whether it's in Dell Computer or the slums of um, India working with um, age workers there, I've found that people have that upper limit problem that keeps them from occupying the zone of genius. So you kind of have to work both of those things 
at the same time, Jason, you have to work on your upper limits issues and you have to also establish yourself more and more every day in your zone of genius. God, this, this is brilliant. So <clears throat> with you, one of the questions I, I, I get a lot, um, you know, and usually it's like, go, go back and reread the book. But one of the biggest questions I get is, all right, well, how do I know and how do I discover my zone of genius? And like, how do I, how do I really nail that down? Yes. Well, one thing, uh, let me, um, if I may, I'd love to read you a passage from an email I got this week. One of the things about writing a book, um, like The Big Leap or Conscious Loving, the book that my wife and I wrote about relationships, is we get the absolute most beautiful, what you might call fan mail, pretty much on a daily basis or weekly basis. So here's the, here's the latest one I got. A few years ago, my husband and I invited a semi-homeless teenage girl to live with us for the five months before she left for college. She had grown up in a household that often went without electricity, and she slept in a bed with many as five other people. Despite this background, she won several scholarships to a private college that cover 100% of her expenses. Just a few weeks ago, she returned to our home over Christmas before she was due to leave for a semester abroad. 48 hours before her flight, she suddenly became so ill, we rushed her to an urgent care facility at 11 p.m. on New Year's Eve. So let me pause there, Jason, and just get the, the picture straight in everybody's mind. So here's this very talented girl from a very rough background who had done a lot in her life. But then she had this amazing opportunity to go on this trip to Spain. So she'd never been out of the country. This was the whole first time thing. So she was totally new ground. So. Now I want to go back to the letter again that her mother or her stepmother or her foster mother wrote. Then I had a conversation with my daughter that changed that changed everything and reminded me of everything I had learned in the big leap. My daughter wanted to know what are her exact symptoms? I said just a scratchy throat at this point, but she can hardly get out of bed. The daughter said that doesn't make any sense. And the mom said, Oh, my God, you're right. That doesn't make any sense. So she ran to the girl's room, flipped on the light that hadn't been on in days. And she said, I know you feel sick, but I think you're scared. So we discussed all the things she had to fear. There were a lot. The most interesting part of the story is that she completely bought my theory about upper limit problems. She hopped out of bed, suddenly feeling fine, and together we packed her bags in just under an hour. She thanked me for my wisdom, and I told her that I just learned all this stuff from your book days before. The rest of the day, she ruminated about why she worried so much and what could she do about the problem. It was pretty hilarious to see somebody recover from a semi-comatose condition in mere minutes. I'm happy to report that she has been in Spain for the last week and says, all is well. Thank you, Dr. Hendricks. It wouldn't have happened without you. Well, I get that. You can imagine what that feels like, Jason, I'm sure, in your line of work, because you get this kind of thing, too, where a person takes a little nugget that you've learned the hard way, you know, and, and, and uses it to change their lives. 
I'm, I've gotten thousands of these over the years, but I never get tired of it. It's never a blase thing for me because I dedicated my life to living on the front edges of enlightenment. And that's where I like to be with people. So when somebody sits down and, and takes a 10 minutes to write a letter like that, it moves me in my heart. It's what I came here to do. And even though I've doing, been doing it now for 45 years, I'm just as excited about it today as I was when I first caught onto this way back, you know, decades ago. That's fabulous. I mean, it, it, it really is amazing how, you know, we, we, we create our own roadblocks um, and, and what that fear does. I mean, if we're going to boil it down, like we all, we all have our own fears and, you know, the way I've, the way I've really understood the whole upper limit issue is, you know, we're, we're, we're throwing our own roadblocks in front of ourselves because we're terrified of what may happen if we're successful, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we're afraid that, like, for example, with the fear of outshining, we're afraid that we'll get out there and shine and then make a mistake and it'll be worse. You know, and, and then there's other fears, too. Some of the other ones I discovered is that some people hold themselves back because of a comparative thing they're doing unconsciously in their mind. I think I mentioned in the book about a real estate guy that I worked with that had never made more than, I forget what the amount was, $140,000 a year or 100000 or 200000 There was some number. I can't remember. I'm not looking at the book right now, so I don't remember. But he had stalled out where he kept making this amount year after year. And I just asked him one question. I said, you know, what is that about? What do you what are you referring to when you cap that? And suddenly he realized that his father was also a real estate man and had never made more than that amount a year either. And the interesting thing was, I said, well, what if you go ahead and outshine your father? And then he said, well, my father would feel bad. And I said, well, let's check that out, because maybe he might be very proud of you for going beyond where he's gone. And so we actually had a telephone call with the father where, where I said, you know, here's this thing that uh, your son is struggling with right now. And let's um, let's the three of us talk about it. And it turned out that the father was kind of flabbergasted. He said, no, you know, I, I'd like you to make double what I make. I'd like you to make triple what I make. You know, that would be the greatest honor of me. And so the son had been kind of carrying this around as a secret, unconscious even to himself for a while. That's why I appreciate you bringing up this issue of how to spot the upper limit problem, um, Jason, because one very practical thing that every business person ought to do is notice very carefully any way you've sabotaged yourself, particularly three or more times. Like, do you sabotage yourself with uh, a financial crisis? Or do you sabotage yourself with worry thoughts? Or here's a popular one. A lot of people will have a breakthrough on the business front. They'll make more money or have a big promotion or have a big win. And then suddenly things will fall apart in their home life. One of the children will act out or the um, you'll argue with your partner. Or I've seen, I don't know how many hundreds of examples of 
the spillover between business life and home life. And that's the reason I don't think you really need to make much of a distinction when you talk about the upper limit problem, whether it's working in business or whether it's at home, because oftentimes the two refer off of each other. And so I advise people, everyone that uh, comes to our seminars, I advise them to make looking for instances of self-sabotage a daily activity. Keep a notebook of it. Notice when you sabotage your diet. You know, do you start off in the day eating well, and then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon you feel sluggish, so you pop a candy bar in. So just notice little things like that, because as you begin to notice them, you'll see patterns. Like uh, some of my clients have said that they use an upper limit problem they call the Friday night fights, where they'll have a big win all week in work, and then they'll come home and start a fight or get involved in a fight with their spouse or partner on Friday night. And so you really have to take on looking for the upper limit problem as a kind of a daily force of your life and keep a notebook on it, keep a, a schedule. The other thing that I recommend um, everybody do, Jason, is no matter whether you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or you're the CEO of a corner laundromat, it's actually the same process. Get yourself 10 minutes a day to start with where you go in a room by yourself, no phone, no nothing, and just sit there and meditate and think about what is your true genius? What do you really want to be doing? What do you most love to do? That if you did it all day long, you would just be in paradise all day long. And I want you to start thinking about that for 10 minutes and start doing that zone of genius for at least 10 minutes a day, because I know what will happen is it'll soon get to be 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and pretty soon you'll be doing more and more of your time in your zone of genius. In my opinion, all the problems in the world can be solved when we sit down and dedicate ourselves to operating in our zone of genius. And so I've had the same conversation with presidential candidates and politicians and CEOs and movie stars and everybody from every walk of life you can think about. And it's a crucial thing that all of us need to be doing is anchoring ourselves more and more every day in doing what we most love to do and what we really are here to do. So I love everything about what you've actually just said. Um, almost to the point of like, okay, I'm good. However, um, I know that the, the one piece of pushback that I'm going to get from anybody who listens to this, they're going to say, yeah, 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 that's all great, but I still have to do all the other things. Where do I have time? How do I carve out that time for my, my zone of genius? Is there, is there a tool that you would give a patient, uh, or a client that, that comes in? How do they start this if they've never actually done this before? I ask them to make a commitment to spending 10 minutes doing this the very next day after I've seen them. And then I check in with them at the end of that day to make sure they've done it. So I do it on a one day at a time basis at first with my clients. And I ask them to send me an email at the end of the day to tell me what happened during their 10 minutes inquiry into their zone of genius. And with some people, you know, the, the force of habit is very strong. So if you've been operating 
underneath your zone of genius, if you've been operating in your zone of incompetence or your zone of competence or even in your zone of excellence for a while, that's that's a kind of a tough thing to get out of. It's um, um, you need to make a sincere, dedicated commitment to it, and you need to follow through on that commitment for several days in a row before it gets established. So I found that most people that after three days, it begins to feel more natural to spend time in your zone of genius, and it begins to catch on. But I would say for the first three days, dedicate 10 minutes to it, and then get an accountability thing going with a friend of yours or a counselor or a coach or someone where they will check and say, okay, what happened during your 10 minutes today? What, where was it in your schedule? And I ask people to put it in their schedule. You know, 3.20 to 3.30 tomorrow afternoon is your zone of genius time. And you just go in a room by yourself, and if nothing else, you ask yourself, what is my genius? There are some questions to ask yourself in the big leap. One of them is, what do I most love to do? That's a really key one because almost everyone that finds their zone of genius gets to it through the gateway of love by asking themselves, what is it that I really love to do with people more than anything else? Like for me, you're probably getting the idea here. I I imagine that one thing that really excites me is the moment of transformation where somebody wakes up and says, oh, wow, I see how I've been doing it this way. Now I'm going to start doing it this way. And it was absolutely essential in my life. And particularly my wife and I are in business together. You know, we've practiced and worked together and uh, we have a number of different businesses now and have launched um, probably half a dozen businesses over the years that we've then built up to be successful. And in two cases, we've sold them to publicly traded companies. But we've been basically in business since the year we started with ourselves 37 years ago. And so working in relationship in a business, it brings up all sorts of complexities. But I'll tell you, there's nothing better than dedicating yourself, both people dedicating yourself to your zone of genius. And when I go in to work with executives now or when they come here to work with me, what I do is I get everybody to make an agreement that this business is about revealing everybody's genius. That's one of the new commitments I get people to ask. And so, I mean, to make. And so I want everybody that's listening to us today to have the opportunity to make your home in your zone of genius. And the only way to do that is to begin with a sincere commitment to doing it and then follow through on that commitment. Wow, I love this. I, I, this is <clears throat> this is so helpful. And I mean, just, just scheduling that time to get it started, I think, is, is so helpful. Obviously, you've seen vast examples of the upper limit problem. Are there some famous examples that you can think of so that people really have a reference? Well, there are some sad examples, like uh, ones I mentioned in the book. Uh, probably the most famous one is the great comedian John Belushi, who right when he had the number one album, the number one TV show, and the number one movie, then died from a drug overdose. So he obviously it was a sad thing to see a person that with that much talent, but with so little underlying self-esteem that when he got to the, the peak of the mountain, that he'd been wanting all his life, just couldn't stay there for very long at all. And there, 
examples throughout history, too, where, you know, countries will get along well for 30 years and then have to have a war, you know. And so that's an upper limit problem on a whole society. One of my favorite humorous examples is um, there was a, a great album by the Rolling Stones uh, back in the 80s that had a harmonica solo on it that was done by a harmonica player named Sugar Blue. And Mick Jagger had apparently discovered him playing in the subway in Paris and had heard him play the harmonica and invited him to play on this album. And it's an incredible um, um, harmonica solo. It's on the Rolling Stones song, I believe, is called uh, Miss You. Um, so, um, but what happened was Mick Jagger and, and Keith Richards invited Sugar Blue to play in the concert that they were doing, the live concert. So here with this guy's opportunity was to go all the way from the subway to playing in the big concert hall in Paris with the Rolling Stones. Unfortunately, when he tried to get in backstage, he was carrying a joint in his pocket, a marijuana in his pocket, and the gate guard busted him and wouldn't let him go into the backstage area so he couldn't get on to play his uh, solo with the Rolling Stones. So fortunately, though, later, I guess he recovered from it and was able to do an album as his own and that kind of thing. But I always strikes me as pretty much the biggest upper limit problem of all time to have the opportunity to go from playing for nickels and dimes in the subway to playing with the Stones and then not getting it because you forgot you were carrying a joint in your pocket. <laughs> That's amazing. That's truly amazing. Is, is there, are there steps that we can take to transcend this upper limit problem? Because clearly if you're alive, you've got it. You, we all, we all experience it at some point. Are there tools that we can provide folks with to, you know, help them get around it or over it or through it? One thing to do, you probably saw this in the big leap. Um, I have a something I call the universal success mantra, or sometimes the students call it the ultimate success mantra. It's an idea that you establish in your mind. It's a very practical idea. Uh, you can get the, the specific wording from the book, but the general idea is to say a sentence in your mind, an affirmation that expresses exactly what you want your life to be about in your zone of genius. Now, for me, I've used basically the same one for many years, which is, I'll give you the basic idea, which is I expand in love, abundance, and creativity every day as I inspire others to do the same. So for me, I like to, the idea of every day feeling like I'm expanding with more love, more success, more creativity every day, and I'm making a new commitment to expanding every day, and I'm making a commitment also to inspiring other people to do the same. So that's been what my life has been about and what Katie and I have been doing for our lives together over the past 37 years is every day we want to live our lives in a way that expresses more of our own potential and we're also we're teachers and, and counselors and coaches. And so we we also want to inspire other people to do that, too. So 
I recommend that as a jumping off place for people to create their own universal success or ultimate success mantra, something that you can keep coming back to over and over again in your mind, something that you can keep re-anchoring to when you drift. Um, in our work, we say you're going to drift and you're going to shift. You, you're, you drift and you shift. So what happens is you'll move toward your goal, and then you'll drift off of it. And then you have to reconnect again and shift back to your goal. So the drift is just part of the game. We recommend that people get the idea that they're like the uh, automatic pilot mechanism in an airplane. You know, an uh, airplane with an automatic pilot can take off at JFK and fly all the way to Honolulu with the automatic pilot on because the automatic pilot is catching the drift. You start to, the plane starts to drift and it says, okay, we're drifting to the right. Let's correct back to the center. And then it catches again. It says we're drifting to the left. Let's go, go back to the center. So if you think about it, the plane gets from JFK to Honolulu by being wrong 99% of the time. But it still gets there because it has the capacity to notice and recorrect. And that's the mistake that many business people make is they start heading toward their goal. And when the drift occurs, they get all caught up in that and get bummed out or frantic about that. And then they sabotage the whole thing. So you just have to learn the whole process of catching the drift and shifting back to your goal again. So that's the way it is in business. You get there by being wrong most of the time. But if you keep your principles and your goals in mind, you can always recorrect and, and get back to center. That makes so much sense. All right. It is time for our resource of the week. So Dr. Hendricks, tell me this. How can my listeners find out more and about you and about how you've helped so many and continue to help so many to succeed? Well, I, I really, I want people to have a practical experience every moment of increasing the amount of love and abundance in their life. And so what you have to do is notice any place in your life where you're limiting your love or limiting your abundance and study those very carefully and find out what it is you really want in those areas. Now, if you go to Hendricks.com or go to our foundation's website, you'll see we have lots and lots of practical suggestions there, but they're all based on this general idea that human beings have the capability and capacity to create amazing miracles in their life. I've lived on a steady diet of seeing people create miracles on their, in their lives for the past four decades. But I'm always amazed at the way human beings, you know, like I came from a place of weighing 320 pounds and having a, working at a job I hated and being in a relationship I was unhappy in and having a car I didn't like, you know, in a very few years, created a completely different life just by making one little decision after the other that was deciding to go for my future rather than go for my past. And so I think all of us have the capability of doing that. And there are lots of resources, of course, at Hendricks.com and 
and our other websites. Um, but it really starts with a commitment down in your body and soul to express your fullness of genius in your life in this lifetime. It's fabulous. So we've got just just so I make sure I have this. And, and obviously, if you're listening to this directly off of the show notes page, you see that there's a link for Hendrix.com, which is www.h-e-n-d-r-i-c-k-s.com. And I also have the Foundation for Conscious Living at www.foundationforconsciousliving.com. Is that correct? That's good. And uh, we have lots of other websites and things, too. I'm sure if people wouldn't have any trouble finding us. Um, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> and it should be, it should be, it, and I've, I've said this numerous times with folks, if you've not read The Big Leap and actually scheduled it on a quarterly basis to be part of your inspirational, motivational, instructional life lessons, you know, you're missing out. Um, it would be a mistake to miss out on that. It's, it's, I know what it's done for me. I know what it's done for so many folks that I have the luxury of working with. So it is a, uh, it's really, I feel like it's an instructional on life. So get out there. You've got to go digest that book immediately, if not sooner. Um, Dr. Hendricks, I have one question I always like to end my podcast with. So if you could give business owners just one solid piece of advice to either help their business or more importantly, help them to live a better life, what would that piece of advice be? Today, sometime, take 10 seconds or 10 minutes and ask yourself, what is it about my business that I most love? What is it about it I most love to do? And orient yourself to spending more time doing that. Because if there are two people in a business, there are two different zones of genius. If there are three people in a business, there are three zones of genius. If each person anchors themselves in their zone of genius and spends more time doing what they most love to do, you feel more excited about getting up and going to work every day and feel happier when you go to bed at night about the positive results you've created. This is great. This is folks, <laughs> you, you've, you've gotten quite an education today. I know I certainly have Dr. Hendricks. Thank you so much for joining us today. I know how busy your schedule is and it, it just means the world to me that you share some of your, your time and some of your wisdom with us. Thank you so much. All right. Be well. Thanks a lot, Jason. Absolutely. Folks, that is all the time we've got today. Thanks so much for tuning into The Real Deal with Jason Silverman. For more info about private coaching or to see if you'd benefit from one of my mastermind groups, visit me over at www.jasonmsilverman.com. I look forward to helping you achieve the success that you truly deserve. Until next time, let me leave you with this. Get out there and be the real deal. Set a goal, make a plan, work like hell towards it, and achieve the success that's waiting for you. Now's the time. Get out there and make it happen. This has been Jason Silverman, and I hope you have a spectacular week. You've been listening to The Real Deal with Jason Silverman. To access the great resources mentioned in the show and for information on coaching and mastermind group opportunities with Jason, please visit jasonmsilverman.com.